Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of the Good Life Radio Podcast. Monday, November 25th, 2013, a cold, freezing, blistering day here in the Big Apple. Phone number to call in is always 323-927-2966. With the NFL season going strong and my Giants losing to the Cowboys and pretty much eliminating themselves from the playoffs this year, I figured I'm going to direct the show to a basketball theme today. And it's not going to be about Kentucky basketball, but don't worry, I have a bunch of Kentucky guests coming up, especially in the next few weeks, since we all know where this season's headed, AT&T Stadium in Texas in April. Uh, today, he's actually on hold right now, I'm going to interview NBA veteran of 15 years, who had a long and successful career, and a really interesting journey to the NBA. So without further ado, I'm pumped to have him on the show. Like I said, 15-year veteran, my boy from the University of Virginia, 6'11", Olden Polonies. OP, what's up, my brother? Thanks for calling in. Um, oh, thanks for having me on. Okay, your journey to the NBA, it's, it's actually pretty remarkable. And after you agreed to do the interview, I looked into it. Uh, you're born in Haiti, and you come to the U.S. at the age yeah. of eight, and you start playing for All Hollows. What brings you to the UVA? Um, well, there's a couple of little things um, before that. You know, I never played basketball before, so, you know, it was one of the situations when I got to All Hollows, you know, I went from six one to six eight in the summer for my freshman and sophomore years. And the high school coach was like, Hey, you know, I want you to play basketball and I told him, I don't play basketball, I've never played basketball. He's like, Okay, well let me teach you. All right. So long story short, he taught me, I became all American and I had decisions to make, you know, where I was going to go to school. And Virginia won out for two main reasons. The, the visit that I had was incredible. And Jim Laranega at the time was the assistant to Terry Holland. And he and my high school coach were like best friends. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to go somewhere where I at least know somebody. And so, and that's why I chose Virginia. Did other schools recruit you? Oh, yeah, everybody. I mean, UCLA, Duke, Georgia Tech, you name them, they wanted me. And I chose Virginia, like I said, you know, coming in after Ralph Sands, and I, I saw an opportunity to get some minutes, uh-huh. um, you know, at the center position. And that was another factor in that. Is, you know, I wasn't promised minutes, but I, I was promised an opportunity to win minutes. Now, OP, question, do you still go down to Charlottesville at all or no? Uh, yes, I do. I've actually been back the last two years because I've been uh, taking part in the uh, Players Association Top 100 camp that they have every summer. And I've been going back. It's held at the University of Virginia. And so for the last two years, I've been going back. 
Opie, my best friend since I was five years old, went to UVA. So I was I spent my entire college career down there, played football for them, at Little John's, a sandwich spot, the bar that built more. UVA is one of the best. Charlottesville is one of the best oh, yeah. college towns in all. Oh, it's amazing down there, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I remember when I was there, we were um, yearly voted like top two or three party schools, yes. and that that was incredible times. I had a blast at Virginia. I just I wish I could go back now, to be honest with you. But it's an amazing city. Um, Charlottesville is great. The people are great, and it's it's a fun college town. You know, they about the education, but they also like to party as well. So they find a balance some kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, UVA. It's, I still love going down there. What is it? A Fox Field? Is that the the horse racing? It's phenomenal down there, man. It's awesome. Yes, exactly. Now. I was reading about you before I interviewed you, and after college you leave and you played a year in Italy. Why didn't you go right to the NBA draft? Well, unfortunately for me, I had a dumb – I don't know if I can cuss on the show. Yeah, you, but, you can say whatever I had a, a bad agent. Oh. <laughs> Pretty much I had a bad agent. All right. <laughs> so um, he never – you know, it's like I signed with him, committing myself to it. I was done. And instead of a, you know, he missed the cutoff, the deadline for um, applying me for the NBA draft. So I was stuck. You know, I couldn't go back to school. And so I just decided, hey, you know what, I'll go play overseas for a year, get that experience, and then come back. And needless to say, he was fired shortly thereafter. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the draft is famous, the 87 draft. You drafted eighth overall by the Bulls. So no big deal. You're going to go play alongside Michael Jordan. You're traded for Scottie Pippen. What's going through your head? You get drafted to play with MJ, and then you're going to go, you get traded. What happens then? Well, it was weird on so many levels because um, I never interviewed, never worked out or anything for Chicago. So that was never in, in play. I worked okay. out for New York, but they were down at the bottom. I knew I was going to be, you know, top ten guy, you know, because mm-hmm. I was, I felt I was the best center at that time, you know. Um, it was between me and David Robinson. Of course, he went number one. But I just, you know, you got to have that mindset. But I definitely thought I was, you know, top five, top ten guy. Um, the numbers were there. So when the draft came, I knew I worked for Seattle. I worked out for Seattle, and that's where I wanted to go. So when they said, you know, with the fifth pick, I thought, and I knew from the conversations that I'm, you know, hey, I'm getting ready. If you look at the film, it's like I'm like I'm anticipating my name being called. So when Stern said Scott Pippen, I was like, who the hell is Scott Pippen? And so I'm like, okay. So I kind of looked back in the audience at my uh, my agent, and he's like, you know, don't worry about it. You know, he's making the gesture with his hands. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Because I was like, damn, you know, wait a minute. This is where I expected to go. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of this stuff is worked out beforehand. So, with the eighth pick, the Chicago Bulls select old parties, So now I'm like all excited. You know, forget Seattle. <laughs> you <gonna play laughs> as with much Jordan? as I wanted to go there, man, I get a chance to play with Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'm like, cool, man. I'm all excited. Do the interview, shake Stern's hand, man. Less than an hour later, it's like, okay, we have a trade trade to announce. So I was like, okay, so I'm back where I was supposed to be. And, you know, come to find out, they had done all this the night before, mm-hmm. you know, because from what I was told, Sacramento, who had the sixth pick, was going to pull Scottie Pippen, was going to pick Scottie Pippen. But Chicago wanted Scottie. So they made, you know, they told Seattle, hey, you draft Scottie for us. 
we'll draft older and then we can switch afterwards. Now we So I got to learn the business right away. <laughs> now were you extremely disappointed? I know you loved playing in Seattle, but you you had to be a little disappointed not playing with Jordan and like do you ever think what could have been all the rings and the accolades of playing in Chicago? Well, you know what, I've always been the kind of guy that never went back on what could have been and what if because I think we all put in positions for a certain reason. And so, but, yeah, as, a, as an athlete and as, a you know, a competitor, I kind of wish I could have played with Michael in Chicago because I would have loved to have an opportunity to win a championship. And so that's the only thing I look back on and say I wish I could have had that opportunity. But I, I love my life in Seattle. I thought, you know, I was there because that's where I needed to be, you know. And so God doesn't make mistakes. That's how I always look at it. So, you know, I did what I did. I had my, my, my longevity. Scotty did what he did. He's got a couple more rings than I do. But, you know, we <laughs> both did the same thing. We both played in the NBA. You know, we both made money, you know. So it's like, what's the big deal? You made millions and millions. Okay, you have a great career. And before I interview people, I'd love to see who they played with. You know, I just interviewed Kenny Anderson a few weeks ago. You played with some greats, uh, Sean Kemp, Peyton, Danny Manning, Rich, well, like Mitch Richmond, Stockton and Malone. Like, those are some legendary Hall of Fame players. Who is the best teammate or, like, Man, anything? And you, cool name, you, name it, you name it the lesser players that I played with. Isaiah Thomas, Joe yeah, Dumas. Joe Dumas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had all those guys. Dennis Rodman. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, you yeah, I played with some legendary play, players. And who was like the best, yeah, like the best teammate or anything cool, interesting about them? Like any of those superstars that we wouldn't know a good story about? Well, see, that's the thing. You caught me at a wrong time in asking these questions because I'm in the process of writing my, my autobiography right now. So this is, you know, I, I, all those stories are being saved for my book. <laughs> but you know, it's funny, it's funny you said that because when I interviewed Kenny Anderson, he was on here for an hour. We're going back and forth, and I'm answering stories about Georgia Tech and the Nets and Jarazin Petrovic. He's like, I can't really talk about that. I got a book coming out. <laughs> all right, how about who was your favorite oh, yeah, player? We all, you know, and it's time that we do that because I mean I got some great stories, and uh-huh, unfortunately, course. I don't think mine is gonna be like Kenny's because I'm actually writing about everything that ever happened in the NBA, confirming a lot of rumors, and you know just really touching on so many different components of life in the NBA, also life outside of the NBA. You know, marriage, divorce, you know. And it's all—it's like a self-help book as well, you know, to help these young guys, you know, understand what to expect and what to do within the realm of professional sports. Because I don't think anybody's really taking the time to help these young men. So my book is going to be a lot about that as well, you know, because there are people out there that really don't want your best interest. Mm-hmm. Now, Opie, when uh, when is your book coming out? Well, we're writing right now, so okay. it's just uh, when I get done with it. So as long as I, you know, keep my nose, you know, to the ground, I'll just, you know, I'm gonna try and get it done by next year, by January. So that means we got a lot of writing and typing to do. Now you played for Seattle, Utah, Sacramento, uh, Detroit, the Clippers. Favorite memory, and how about your favorite city to play in? My favorite city is Seattle because um, great food. I still remember my first week in Seattle. I go eat dinner, 
and tasting the seafood, and I kept <laughs> sending it back because I was like, this what? doesn't taste right. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? They're like, what's wrong with that? It tastes different than what I'm used to. They're like, oh, oh that's like because it's fresh. <laughs> Olden, you're used to seafood stuff in the Bronx. From the freezer. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm from the Bronx. I've never really eaten seafood at Virginia. They're not giving us fresh seafood. So it's like I'm at a restaurant in Seattle. It's like they basically went out in the water and grabbed it and put it on the plate, cooked it and put it on the plate. I'm talking about it's wonderful, but it just tasted different. So I'm like, that's not what I'm used to. I'm used to that frozen. <laughs> but listen, so I, I just sent it back twice. They're like, sir, um, we don't know what to do for you. And so my friend's like, oh, it's it's fresh. <laughs> Oh, listen, it's funny you said that. I live in this city also, so I'm used to, you know, quote-unquote fresh seafood. And then I went to the Philippines last year, and the seafood, it's, it's completely different. It's fresh seafood from the Bronx in Manhattan. We're not used to the real fresh. They say it's fresh. It's not really fresh, exactly. though. Exactly. Yeah, now, listen, exactly, and that's the thing. <laughs> now, a question. Uh, what's the, I always ask this question. What's the biggest purchase you ever made? You made a very nice contract. Basketball reference gives your complete total earnings, but what's the biggest purchase you ever made with your contract? The biggest purchase I ever made, aside from a house. Of course, of course. Um, oh, man, I didn't really, I wasn't a big splurge kind of guy. I probably, the, now I'll tell you this, the craziest thing I've ever done, which was a purchase, um, uh, we had gotten knocked out, um, our season ended when I was in Sacramento. And so I was like, oh, man, you know, we were, uh, we were supposed to have um, a meeting you know, the next day. So I blew off the meeting. I said, I'm going to go down to Lake Tahoe, you know, okay. because I was just so mad about the way the season ended. I go, go to Lake Tahoe, and I win like $130,000, you know, that same night after losing. I was like, okay, this is, this makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> so, I, so we get back to Sacramento, and I said, you know what, let's go to L.A. So me and my friend, we you know, we drive down to L.A. I go to the Porsche dealership, and I have to do, uh, what will you give me this Porsche right now if I pay cash? <laughs> so I ended up saving almost $30,000 because I pulled out all this money that I won from the casino, and he gave me like an $80,000 car for fifty grand, and I pulled out cash, like something out of a movie, and it was hilarious because it's, the dude's mouth was wide open. <laughs> it, it makes that loss a lot, a lot more terrible. Hey, do you, uh, oh, yeah. Do you I think that was like the, the wildest thing I've done, just to go in and walk, you know, walk out there and just pull out cash, put it on the table. Okay, here, give me the car. And walk out <laughs> that's OP. That's when you know you made it, when you can go in there and pay cash for a Porsche and drive home with it. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. You know, but like I said, I didn't do a lot of purchases, big purchases, but that was one that I remember. Cause, and, again, it was like I had just won the money, so it was, it was free money, basically. <laughs> Now, OP, do you have uh, any memorabilia from your playing days? Have you kept anything? Um, I, my mother has, you know, like my jerseys. You know, I have a jersey from each team I played on that I gave to her. Um, I have – now, there's something that I have no one else has. Um, John Stockton, when I played with him, he broke the record for most games played. On, you know, I think he broke Havacek's record. And he signed the shoes for me. Oh, and wow. gave them to me. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Are you, are you a memorabilia guy? You know, have you as, a lot of memorabilia? 
I do. I have um, Gretzky hockey stick. I have a bunch of stuff. I have baseballs that were signed by um, prior to Bush. I think it was Clinton was the last president at the time when I got them. So it was mm-hmm. the six presidents prior. Oh, wow. You know, Clinton, Carter, Old Bush, Reagan, and somebody else. So it was like, it was really cool, you know, stuff that, like that. I, I, I do like collecting stuff like that. All right. But it's all, so, you know, it's in storage at home. So I'm like, you know, just holding on to them. <laughs> all right. I always ask this question, and I always love the response from everyone. If I take OP's phone right now, who's the coolest person in your phone? You want to impress somebody at the bar besides being six foot eleven and playing in the NBA? Who's the coolest cat in your phone right now? Oh man, that's a lot of people. I mean, I got Jamie Foxx, Arsenio, Magic. I got, I mean, everybody oh, yeah. on my phone. Derek, yeah, so, Derek, I mean, if they just look through my phone, uh, that's the cool thing. It's like I can pull up so many different names. They're like, oh my god, you know. I do it every right. now and then, but not not as often as I used to back in the days. Yeah, they're friends of mine. You know, we stay uh-huh. in contact. So it, it's just, you know, we're all regular people because everybody started from somewhere else. You know, we became who we are. But, you know, we were friends prior to, you know, all the other stuff. So Now, Olden, I'm a diehard Kentucky college basketball fan. I live and breathe. Relationships have ended because I love Kentucky basketball so much. You played for Sacramento. Uh, you mean you mean NBA NBA <laughs> NBA two B? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen, listen, man, that's like that's an NBA team disguising oh, as a college program. Listen, they lost this year to Michigan State. I don't know if they're gonna lose again. That's a you know Calipari does that in the beginning. He plays that one tough game and he brings them down to earth. That team's a special hey. special team this year. Let me tell you something right now. If I was if I was a college kid, I'm. And I think there's a disservice being done, and it's not Cal. Cal's actually helping these guys. Uh-huh. Cal's saying, hey, I know you want to play in the NBA, so I'm setting my program up to get you ready for the NBA. See, everybody else is lying except for mm-hmm. Cal. Everybody else is under the disguise of, ooh, student athlete. There's no such thing as a student athlete. It's a contradiction in terms. Mm-hmm. And so – that's why I can respect John Calipari because he's like, hey, I know these guys are going to be one and done. Fine. My program is set up that way. But everybody else want to hide the fact that, hey, I know I'm using these kids, you know, but, oh, they're students first, please. These guys are young professionals. They just can't go to the NBA because of that new rule. So I love Kentucky basketball, and I love what Cal's doing. At least he's preparing them for that life. Everybody mm-hmm. else is is messing with these kids because they're lying to them. Yeah, you're right, and you know they rip him up for, for getting John Wall and all these guys. But he's honest with them. He's like, listen, here's the deal: you're leaving in a year anyway, so come here, play basketball, let's exactly. win a title. You know, when he had Davis and Kid Gilchrist, he's like, listen, you guys can play in the NBA right now, but come for me for one year. Let's win a title. Let's make some money and go to the NBA. He, he's the only, and that's why I think he's but getting these players. Should be able to go. They should be able to go to the NBA out of high school. Without because a doubt. if you can go to war, if you can go to war at 18, okay, you can go play in the NBA. You can go work at 18. You know, See, now the problem is these NBA teams who have, who have these overpaid scouts, they're not doing their job scouting. So when they were making those mistakes with the young guys back in the day, you know, all of a sudden there was a problem with the whole system. No, there was no problem with the system. You guys were not doing your jobs. 
and they were lying to the kids too. Scouts. Yeah, you know, I mean, old, yeah, everybody's not going to be Kobe and Kevin Durant and LeBron. Mm-hmm. We know that. But if you do your homework, you can figure out who is going to be good, and then you draft accordingly. Yeah, they promise these kids they're going to go in the first round. They go the, you know, and these kids got to be a little smarter too, you know. And that's why I think Cal Perry's doing a great job. He tells them, "Come with me. You're going to go top five in the draft. Listen, this team now is going to have five kids in the top fifteen. This this team now is phenomenal." Yeah. Now, yeah, so and that, if you're not ready, know that for yourself and don't go. <laughs> Stay another you, year. Now, listen. Like I said, I'm diehard Kentucky. So the Kings have you play from Demarcus Cousins. It's so frustrating watching him. He should be one of the best big men in the league. How frustrating is watching someone that good, that talented, just take days off? I, I get so frustrated watching him. I tell all my friends, DeMarcus Cousins is a beast. He's going to be a, and then he'll have 25 and 20, and the next day have 10 and 3. It's so frustrating watching someone like that. It, it's frustrating watching him because, you know, he plays on a team I played on in the past, and he plays my position. I've offered my services to DeMarcus and the Kings because – See, I honestly believe he has mental issues, you know, and I'm not saying that to be derogatory. I honestly, because we all do to a certain extent. You know, we're all young black kids, you know, from poverty, okay? There's going to be mental issues. There's going to be issues psychologically that we've never dealt with. Now, all of a sudden, you give us millions of dollars and expect them to be, you know, law-abiding citizens being rich. It's not possible. So you need to have people that's experienced this, that know about it, that's gotten help, okay, that can come in and say, hey, this is what I can do for you. This is how I can help you become a better person, a better player. This kid is an all-star, but he'll never be an all-star because of his psyche. Because I, I think he's one of the most talented players in the league. It's frustrating watching him. Now, Opie, let me Here ask you this. What happened? Oh, you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, okay. Uh, let's. I want to go to a little more serious issue. Um, you're from Haiti. How were you affected by the earthquake in Haiti? Well, I lost members of my family after the earthquake. Um, you know, the anniversary is coming up in January, and it's always a tough time, you know, since it happened. And, you know, we just take it one day at a time. I was recently appointed ambassador at large for the country, and, you know, it's it's an amazing honor to represent my country like this, you know, not just from a sports aspect but from a humanitarian aspect. And I'm just, you know, I'm glad to see that, you know, we bounce back like Haitians normally do and continue to grow. And the country, you know, we are still rebuilding. And it's a slow process, but at least now the steps have been taken. You know, I was just there. Uh, two weeks ago, and it looks way better than, you know, before. So, you know, it, it's it's coming along, you know. But, yeah, it was tough, you know, when everything happened. You know, we thought my dad had died in an earthquake, but fortunately he, he didn't die, but other relatives did pass away. So, you know, we just take it one day at a time. You know, you know what, OP, I was going to ask that next. Tell me about that Dr. Phil appearance, the, reunite, the you know, reuniting with your father. Oh, yeah. You know, my dad, you know, he split time between the U.S. and Haiti, you know, just having that luxury of having a home country to go back to. So he was actually in Haiti at the time because we do have some um, property down in Haiti. And so he was just hanging out, you know, doing his thing. And when it happened, you know, we 
lost contact, as so many other families did. And so we had, we didn't talk to him for over a week, and then finally when we found out he was okay, you know, everybody wanted to, like, do interviews. And so the whole Dr. Phil thing was funny because they had my dad in L.A. for three days, and I didn't know it, <laughs> you know. And so cause they told him not to call because they wanted – and so what you saw in Dr. Phil was, I mean, this was not staged or anything because I was like, oh, my God, you know, because I hadn't seen my dad. I hadn't talked to him. I hadn't held him. And so I was like, man, Dr. Phil got me. <laughs> so that was, it was a very emotional time, you know, seeing my dad and just being able to, you know, hold him and say, hey, you know what, you're alive, you're okay, you know, and just, you know, go from there. Now, OP, I was looking up and I Googled you. What are you, building a stadium there? Or uh, what are you building in Haiti right now? Is, is that like a facility? Well, we... It looks um, like an arena. I'm, uh, it's a sports... Yes, it's an arena and a sports complex. It'll, it's going to be the first of its kind in Haiti. And, okay. you know, we don't have anything like that. Because, you know, again, from my phone, I have friends that are in the music business. They all want to go down to Haiti. They love Haiti. And but there's nowhere for them to perform. So I decided, hey, along with that, and as far as, you know, with basketball and my basketball training, why not give the country an arena that we can be proud of? You know, it's, I, I'll call it, you know, my legacy basically for the country. So, and that's what we're doing right now. We're in the process of, you know, we just got the land finally done. And, you know, everything in Haiti is like, a year, two years, ten years, you know, process. It's not like right away. Nothing can be done right away in Haiti, unfortunately. But we're in the process right now of, you know, finalizing some other things, you know, financially to to where we can start breaking ground. Now, Olden, let me ask you this. On Twitter, I don't know if it was a joke or not, you lobbied for the Clippers job. Is that something you want to do to be a head coach in the NBA? I want to be a coach. I don't know necessarily if I want to be a head coach. That's too much drama. But um, <laughs> I wouldn't mind, you know, being an assistant. You know, I'm really good at play development. That's that's my strength. But I, as, And coaching is my strength as well. I was a head coach in the CBA and in the ABA. And, you know, I have a great record, you know, as far as being a head coach. I can coach, but, you know, I just feel like, you know, right now, you know, if, if I was to get a head coaching job, I'm ready and available. But if not, I would definitely like to be on someone's staff helping guys get better, you know. And so well, you know what? that's just how I look at it. But it's not a joke. I offered – I told him I'll do it, you know, the first year I'll do it for free. <laughs> well, listen, you know, you know what you should do. If they're serious about it, I'm serious about it. I'll do it one year for free. Olden, you should come to Brooklyn. You can probably do a better job than Jason Kidd. They're killing him here, man. Oh, oh please. And I him. love Jay Kidd, but I'm a uh-huh. better coach than Jay Kidd. I love him. He's a great guy, but I'm a better coach than him. You know, it's, it's I embarrassing. Could, I could have that team winning games tomorrow. You, you know, when people say, oh, they're not meshing together, it, it's frustrating. Listen, I'm a Knicks fan, but I want to get to that in a second. But, you know, he's doing a, it's a pathetic job what he's doing there. He, he has this talent, Garnett. He has these guys, and he's doing nothing with them. It's, it's, you know, he has two big guys, Garnett and Lopez. Nothing's going on with them. You have to be able to massage the egos. See, mm-hmm. one thing about um, Phil Jackson that I loved, not only did he know basketball, he knew how to control and manage the egos. Jay Kidd doesn't know how to do that. Jay Kidd got given this opportunity, and I'm not a, I'm not mad at him. Hey, get what you can get. 
but you you should know you're not ready to mm-hmm. be a coach. And that's what I talk about, like people being honest. You got to be honest with yourself sometimes. I'm not ready for this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the bottom line. You are not ready. Mark Jackson wanted to coach. Mm-hmm. Mark Jackson is a coach. He was ready. You know, even though he had never coached, but from watching him and analyze games, I knew he was ready that he was going to be a good coach. Jay Kidd was not ready. He's had, he showed no inkling of being a coach. So you could have just said, you know what, at this moment, give the job to someone else. You know, it's funny you brought up to Mark Jackson because when it came out, they said he was such a student of the game. He always prepared himself to be a coach. And you never really ever heard of Jason Kidd ever trying to be – that never came about that Kidd was going to coach, and all of a sudden he's the face of Brooklyn. It, it, I just didn't think it didn't make sense. You get this, this opportunity where it's a win-now situation with Pierce, Garnett, and these guys coming, and he's kind of squandering the opportunity here. You know, uh, it's so funny. They kept saying, you know, Brooklyn, you know, after the trade, they're going to be the team to beat. They were right. They are the team <laughs> to beat. <laughs> all they do is get beat. <laughs> Questions, man. A couple more questions. Uh, it came down. <laughs> it came down a few hours ago. Derrick Rose out for the season. Is his career pretty much over, unfortunately? Now. Oh man, I would hate to say it's over, but man, it's taking a major bump, bump. Because you know, I just, um, I just put on Twitter. It's like the guy plays a style of basketball that we're not used to, and I don't think anybody's used to, and a guard's body is not used to that. You cannot go, and I was just explaining, you cannot go full speed and then try to plant like you're a center trying to dunk. The body's not made to do that because all of a sudden all that torque is not conducive. So he, early on he didn't get hurt only because he was young. Okay. And then all those years hadn't started to build up. Then all of a sudden you see by like his third year, you know, uh, the pounding and everything. It take, those 82 games take effect on you. You know, you might not think so, but it, they take effect. You know, I was blessed to play all those years because I was in shape. But I also knew how to manage my body. You know, I wasn't going to, like, put myself in all these crazy positions to get hurt. <laughs> you know, I used to attack first. I made sure I hit you before you hit me. You know, and right now Derrick Rose does it to himself. He's not even getting hit. If you notice, his injuries are just him making moves. Mm-hmm. It's not like he got hit. And then all of a sudden he felt it's, dude is just – he planted against Portland. Okay, he's just making a regular old move, and all of a sudden his knee goes out. It's scary. It's just the torque and the pressure he's putting on his body. You know, he had the hamstring issue, and a lot of times when you have one minor little thing, it hurts something else. You know, and I think he might have been compensating with the hamstring to where all of a sudden, you know, he was susceptible to the knee injury. So, unfortunately, you know, he missed 18 months, and now he's going to miss another year of basketball, another 72 games. It's tough. You know, it's sad. You know, but I think if if he's going to come back, he's going to have to change his style of play. He has to, you know. You, you hope so. Cause he, he Wayne Wade realized out. that, huh? Yep. He became a jump shooter. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I'm glad you, you mentioned Dwayne Wade and Heat because one of your interviews, and I want to see if the answer is still the same, it was Kobe or LeBron, and you yelled out. You spelled out Kobe being Brian. You still think Kobe's 
better than LeBron? Not the second, obviously Kobe's third, but you think still that Kobe's Man. the fake best player? I look at it like this. Okay. LeBron, you know, every you know, every few years, you know, we gotta have the face of the NBA. And I know mm-hmm. right now LeBron's the face of the league. Fine. Pound for pound, the best player. I'm talking about heart, soul, talent, Kobe Bean Bryant. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. If I have if I have him and LeBron and I need a last second shot, I'm going with Kobe. Oh, without without if a doubt. I have, without a doubt. If I have a situation where I need somebody to, to do something, I'm going with Kobe no matter what. LeBron is a physical specimen, yes. But to me, I still think he lacks, you know, the killer instinct, that mentality of being a great champion. They've, they've won two championships, okay? Kobe's got five, okay? But I still think San Antonio gave that away. I'm sorry. Oh, They're not oh. really dominating people. You know, they lucked up with OKC. Anybody else, they lose the championship. If it had been San Antonio a couple years ago, they lose that championship. You know, the Lakers, they lose that championship. And if Ray Allen doesn't hit that miracle three-pointer, it's over. They lose the series. That was game six. That was a miracle three-pointer. It's a damn rebound. All you do is grab a rebound. All they have to do is come up with a rebound. Now, Pop over coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did. And OP, see, I'm a Knicks fan, so I never loved Jordan, but you respect him. You know, listen, LeBron's awesome. Like you said, he's so physically talented. More, but Kobe Bryant has that killer MJ instinct where he's not losing. He'll he'll never lose that game. You know, he'll die on that floor before he loses that game. And I never see that LeBron has that killer. I need to win every second outlook. But what you said, okay, we just said it. Who hit the shot? It wasn't him. It was Ray oh. Allen. Exactly, exactly. Who got the rebound? Chris Bosh. <laughs> all right. People don't realize all that. It was other people doing specific things that helped them get that championship. You know, now, he missed his attempt. Opie, a couple more questions. I'll let you go. What the hell is up with my Knicks? Please tell me. Um. <laughs> The only way I can give you that explanation is in regards to something my brother said, so I'm going to put it on him as opposed to me. Okay, okay. <laughs> when you have collusion uh-huh. in sports, it makes for bad business. And okay. I say that because that's what my brother said. You cannot bring in J.R. Smith's brother onto the team and tell me he belongs there, okay, all because of these agents that basically run the Knicks, mm-hmm. okay? The agents run the Knicks. You know, Carmelo, all these guys, they, they all have the same, you know, CA and all that stuff. They run in the team. You're not going to have a competitive team because all they're doing is putting their clients on the Knicks. Yeah, that's what Dolan's doing. Yeah, he's just whatever. Even yeah, have, you can't even have good practices because, what, they're all boys. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. They, they're not going out there. You know, I, I, I read a ton of NBA books, and, you know, when you guys played, 10, 15, they said the practices were more intense in some games. Now, all these players are best oh friends. Yeah, you, you look forward to the games. You, oh. When we were playing, you look forward to the games. Let me tell you something. Guys, we fought. I remember Isaiah breaking his hand on Lambeer's head. Okay? <laughs> it got into fisticuffs, and then we're hanging out playing cards right afterwards. You know, because we were able to leave it all on the court, but that's how intense the practices were. Like, you look forward to the games. The games were easy. Now you know, it's like this is absurd. I don't know what's going on. This team, you know, you got Mike Woodson. I love Woody, but 
he's not that good coach for this team. So it's so many different components of complacency that the Knicks have. You know, Carmelo coming out talking about, oh, I'm going to test free agent market. Why would you do that <laughs> yeah, before the I season know. starts? You know, I it's had on a... ridiculous to me. So it's stuff like that that they do. I mean, oh, Lord. OP, when, when I, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. When I had on Kenny Anderson, we were talking about the Knicks, and Kenny Anderson, he reiterated what you said. He said practices were so intense that they'd be fight and practice, just say practice ended at three. They would stay another hour just because they, they wouldn't lose. They'd keep, and now these, listen, how, how is J.R. Smith and his brother going to have a, a serious practice together? It, it's just like a hangout now. When you watch ESPN there, it's a hangout now at these practices. They can't go at each other. You know, uh, they can't go at each other. You can't. I can't guard my brother because I, his his brother might be a good player, but I don't think he, he belonged on the Knicks. I'm sorry. He's just mm-hmm. not. That's not cool. There's other players out there, you know. And then they lost Tyson Chandler. That hurts. You know, your defensive guy. You know, and everybody else. I mean, look around. It's, it's the Nuggets East. No, no, you're right. Hey, hey look at that. Look, look, obviously, it's not the Knicks. Obviously, it's not the Nets. Who wins the NBA title this year, your opinion? Oh, man. Good question. I still like San Antonio. <laughs> I'm sorry. Really, really? At the end of the day, I'm a, I always put San Antonio in the mix, man, because they find ways to win. Look at that record right now. I don't think um, OKC has enough to win to come out the West. Um the Lakers, unfortunately, I like the Clippers if they can mm-hmm. get a banger. If they can get a guy that can just do some dirty work, get some rebounds, you know, that don't care about scoring, I, I really like the Clippers' chances uh, coming out the West. Like you a few years ago, you would have been a perfect fifth. And seriously, you're rebounding and you're intensity. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. Now, Not caring about scoring. It's like that's what they need. They need they need to like see if they can get Reggie Evans back. Somebody like that that just can come in and just abuse people. What is your favorite memory in the NBA? Your favorite one when you look back, say you know what that was pretty freaking awesome. Your best memory in the NBA. I've had so many. Like I said, they all gonna be in the book. But I think my first game definitely ranks up there as far as like you know playing against the Lakers. They had just won the title the year before, um, and then guarding Kareem and him hitting that sky hook. I mean, I still remember that. I was like, oh, my God, I'm here. You know, Kareem hit a sky hook on me, and I couldn't wait to get, to get you back made it. to watch the highlights <laughs> <laughs> of my first game. That was so cool. It's like, oh, my God, I'm in the league, you know. You just watch over and over And also – my 1,000 game when I played that that was that was special as well. Now, coming from the Bronx, from Haiti, any regrets? Anything you can ch- you would change right now in the NBA? Anything you would have done differently? Um, yes, I, I have a few regrets. You know, I have to admit. Um, I think you know there's some things that happened within me and some coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why when I got my coaching job, I reached out to all my head coaches the ones I could find, and I apologized to them, you know, because I didn't realize that it was so difficult. And if I had ever been like a a burden, you know, I wanted to at least let them know, you know, that I was, you know, apologetic about that and, you know, realized that, you know, they had a tough job. And I just, you know, maybe sometimes I made their jobs a little bit tougher. 
So I just wanted to at least know, let them know and acknowledge that. So that's probably my biggest regret, you know, not having a better relationship with a lot of my coaches. I was a good guy. You know, I wasn't a, you know, crazy dude. But, you know, I think sometimes, you know, we as athletes, you know, we think we're beyond reproach. And that's something that I wish I could take back. Now, okay, I'm going to finish up with this. Back to college basketball. This class, this year's class is amazing with Wiggins and all these guys. Who do you do you follow college basketball? Yes, I do. I Who's follow all basketball. Okay, it's me too. Who's going to win the championship oh. this year? You know what? It's right now. It's so young, young of a season. Of I course, mean, I like Kentucky's chances because of Randall. Um, Oh, he's special. He's Duke a special, special surpri- player. Duke can surprise some people as long as Jabari keeps playing like that. I don't see Kansas doing it. I just don't no, think they no. have enough. No. Um, but some way, somehow, Kentucky keeps coming back. You know, Michigan State, I, you know what? I'm going to go with Michigan State. Really? I just think Izzo is like really. He's such a good coach. Izzo will just out-coach people. He, he you just. Know, I think that's that's the key. You said it right. And listen about Randall. He's a special, special player. This kid, like we knew he was good. He's special. He he can be he can be really really good as long as oh, he watches his diet. He looks like he has a propensity that he might be able to gain some weight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, Op. I'll be honest, man. I had a great time with this interview. You exceeded every expectation. I really can't wait for the book. And here's the last thing I ask you, okay? So I'm not a memorabilia guy at all. I don't collect memorabilia. The only thing I have in my basement is two seats from the old Yankee Stadium. I purchased it. But every guest I get on the show, oh, from awesome. Tim, yeah, Tim Couch, uh, Derek Anderson, I, of course, every Kentucky guy, Kid Gilchrist, I, I'm going to send you – I'm going to go on eBay. I'm going to find a jersey. I'm going to buy your jersey. I'm going to send it down to you. You sign it up for me and send it back up here. I can frame it? Sure. Oh, Pete, man, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much, brother. I really had a great time. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me on. Have a great day, man. All right, you too. The great Alden Pondies. What a great in- – I had a blast doing an interview with him. Funny, funny dude. You know, uh, on Twitter I wrote to him. I said, I want to interview you. And he wrote right back. Complete gentleman. Like, yeah, whenever you want to do it, man. We would text him back and forth. He exceeded every expectation with those great stories. I'm actually looking forward to his book. Well, listen, thank you for listening to another episode. And anytime we can talk about Kentucky basketball – and the University of Virginia, it's always a good day. Have a good day, everybody.